Welcome to the Mystic and the Skeptic. In this week's show, we, our guest is Rabbi Asher Mesa. Uh, he received his rabbinical ordination at Yeshivat Nachlei Emunah on the Rabbi Yitzhak Kolakowski, as well as from Ochel Abraham in the old city of Jerusalem by Rabbi Seidel. He has a YouTube channel where he discusses controversial subjects in the Orthodox Jewish world, such as conversion to Judaism and acceptance of Jewish Christians. And the reason we have you on the show today is because we're doing the series on the historical Jesus called the Real Jesus uh, Historical Reconstruction. And you did a, a very uh, brave and uh, interesting expose on a new movement that I see uh, coming around in, I don't know if you would call it uh, the Jewish Christian world or the, the Jewish world from a different perspective. And, you know, some people have tried to, uh, assess how the the, Jew, the Jesus movement came about, but there hasn't been much talk about the Jewish nature of that group. And now in the 2020s, we have Jews who either have embraced uh, a new perspective on Jesus, or they came out of an evangelical perspective and they're embracing Judaism. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of controversy with the Jews for Jesus and Messianic Jews in the last uh, 50 years. So um, what you bring to the table is a fresh perspective. So um, let's start from the beginning. So people who are not aware of Jewish law or Jewish tradition, they think it's a very clear cut case. Either you follow Moses or you follow Jesus. How would you respond to, to that type of dichotomy that people try to make? Well, first let me explain on how I view Messianic Judaism or Hebrew roots. I view them like any other Jewish Kabbalistic movement. Now, I'm not a Kabbalist. I consider myself a rationalist. I wholeheartedly disagree with the Kabbalistic movement, just like I disagree with the Messianic movement. Although, that's not enough, from what I see, to exclude you from the people of Israel. As long as you keep Torah, that's what makes you my brother or my sister, not who you happen to believe the Messiah is. So I give you the same treatment that I give any other mystically inclined Jew. You're part of Israel. If you accept the Torah, like the Hebrews and the mixed multitude accepted the Torah on Sinai. Um, that being said, there's many other groups in the Jewish world who also have a Messiah. And that didn't cause them to drop the Torah. If anything, it's brought many of them closer to the Torah. Uh, the, different things draws different people in different ways to religion. Right? Who am I to stand in between you and God? So only because someone happens to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. I mean, I'm sure you acknowledge that he was Jewish and you claim that he's a Jewish Messiah. So you should embrace him as your teacher uh, by embracing the Judaism that he embraced, which is Torah Judaism. Clearly, Orthodox Judaism is a new term. It was actually created by the reformers, uh, the reform movement, as a way to make fun of those who were observant to say that they're not progressive, that they're backward. Um, so if Yeshua kept Torah and you are a follower of Yeshua, you should also keep Torah. Now, I think the distinction is how is one saved? Now, this notion of being saved is not a Torah concept. It is a Jewish concept, but it's not a Torah concept. There's a lot of concepts that are Jewish concepts, but they just don't literally appear in the five books of Moses. 
So there's a difference between how does one obey God, how does one please God, and how does one get saved? Because it's really two different things. The Torah really doesn't talk about being saved from the, from the uh, grips of our enemies, whether in exile or occupation or just besiegement and ultimately death. That's the only thing the Torah has to say, at least from a literal perspective, about the notion of salvation. The notion of obedience, oh, well, that's all over the Torah. And uh, it seems to me is that the reason someone keeps commandments from a Torah perspective, uh, it really doesn't have nothing to do with being saved or being promised some heavenly kingdom. It seems like we should do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. This is what our our patriarchs did. The Avot kept the mitzvot when they weren't promised heaven or hell. They did it because they realized that their goal on this planet was to leave the world a little better than they found it for their children. And that's what the Torah says, that if you keep these mitzvot, you're going to see your children grow old. You're going to have rain in its season. Now, that's, that's completely different from a metaphysical aspect of salvation that came later. It's post-Torah. It's, it's, it's Jewish because it was developed by Jews. It's just not in the Torah. Yeah. Well, we'll start from the beginning. So uh, terms that people might not be aware of is um, the, the Hebrew Christians or Jewish Christians call Jesus Yeshua. It's a contraction of, of Jehoshua or the name of uh, you know, God saves in Hebrew. And um, when the Jesus movement started, they were all Jews. Everybody knows that. But you still get people that say, well, Jesus was a Christian or Jesus was a Catholic. So, so it all comes from your interpretation of your understanding of, of that perspective. But the, uh, Rabbi Shmuley Botech wrote a book called the, the Kosher Jesus. And in it, he says that the six accusations against Jesus from the Pharisees that are depicted in the New Testament have no basis to them. And a lot of them have to do with him not keeping the, the Torah properly or Shabbat or having, um, you know, so, some authority issues and things like that. Do you feel that, that from what we know historically of Jesus, uh, you said that there's other uh, people who follow different messiahs throughout Jewish history does, does he represent what you sh- usually hear from a lot of Orthodox Jews, that he represents a, an idol or a false messiah or a false deity that people follow? Or from what we know historically and from the record of the New Testament, he's just another Jewish guy with, with great ideas that people followed and they incorporated belief in him as the messiah into their Judaism. Mm. That's exactly what I believe, that he was just another Jewish guy who was clearly a righteous individual. Righteous from a Jewish perspective, being a Sadiq means that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, not that you were sinless. Um, there's, there's no proof that he was a rabbi with a capital R. I'm, the New Testament has one calling but that's just, that, that just means teacher, but rabbi back then i know nowadays there's people called rabbis also with a capital r but that's something ceremonial that was invented in the 16th century it's 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 different being a rabbi back then in terms of what shmuel Betech wrote in kosher jesus i you know 
it's really creative writing. That's what it is. And I think that although Shmuley or Rabbi Boteach um, is considered on the right, he leans left academically. That means he takes the opinions of scholars as truth and as proof to justify his hypothesis. And I think that's inaccurate. We can't do that. That means I read Kosher Jesus. He quotes many historians and he quotes their opinion like he's quoting source material. Source material in the sense that something we could rely on historically. And we can't. These are just opinions. All we're limited to is what appears in the New Testament. The two or possibly three statements in the book of Josephus. And that's pretty much it. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably acknowledge that the few statements that appear in the Talmud referencing someone called Yeshua Notri is not the same individual. It's someone who lived around 250 years before. That's, that, I think, is the consensus, although there's people who have different opinions. I think the vast majority of people accept that conclusion. So I think that he was a righteous individual. Righteous, again, not meaning perfect, but that his good deeds outweighed his bad deeds. He was trying to do good in this, in this world, and people made a political movement around it. Not necessarily that he endorsed it, i.e. him being the Messiah, although there's hints to that, but that could have been um, added in by the editors. And he died for it. And that's it, and that's really all. Right? But apart from what appears in the New Testament, it seems like he was a good guy. Definitely. Absolutely. He was a teacher of Torah, Jewish law. And uh, he lived in an unfavorable time. Perhaps if he would have been born after or before, he could have been, uh, well, let's just say that he could have lived longer and done more good in the world. What we're trying to do is trying to educate the public about, um, you know, one of the issues that we discuss in our show is anti-Semitism. And a lot of anti-Semitism comes from misunderstanding Judaism and blaming Jews for people's misinterpretation of the, of the New Testament or misinterpretation of the, of the Tanakh or, or Jewish scriptures. So they use that to say that the Jews are blind or demonic or ignorant of, of the truth from God revealed through Jesus and stuff like that. So what we're trying to do is the more we get to know the historical character of Jesus and we look at alternative views, the, the less um, vitriol and conflict between the two communities. So this group that, that Jesus, that was created around Jesus, um, you know, from what I know of history, the, the Jewish followers of Jesus were wiped out either in um, 70 AD or in 132 around the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Um, what about this new group of people? Um, the one thing that I, that I wonder if it's true, uh, when you look at, at modern day Jewish Christians, a lot of them talk about Torah, but they mean the, the Protestant interpretation of the Bible, or they talk about Judaism and they, and they mean their version that is more Christian than Jewish. So just like they, they challenged uh, Rabbi Boteach regarding 
how can you say Jesus is kosher as people say, well, we don't know if he existed or whatever. How can you say that, um, that followers of Jesus who take upon Jewish rituals are actually keeping Jewish tradition and Jewish uh, law when a lot of them might not even understand the system or embrace the system? A lot of them seem to be making it up as they go based on their revelations or understanding. Um, is, is it possible to embrace them and see them as part of the people of God from a Jewish perspective? Or is it a, a hopeful thing that in the future they'll come around and they'll acknowledge um, the, the Jewish framework as their own? So to answer the first part, I don't think there's any authoritative text that said or that says that the vast majority were the followers of Yeshua died during the destruction of the second temple. That's a theory and that there may have been a split between the, the Nazarenes who possibly may have sided with Rome and uh, maybe the Sakari and the other ones on the other side of the spectrum, but that hasn't been proven. Right? Now, you didn't make a distinction between Jewish followers of Yeshua and non-Jewish because we know that in the catacombs, there lived a lot of believers. And being that a lot of Hebrews were scattered all across the Roman Empire, that could have led to why there were so many believers so quickly all over the Roman Empire. Not necessarily that it was due to Paul's proselytizing, but only because the Messianic Jew or Hebrew rooter doesn't keep Torah exactly as Israel. The problem is they don't have anyone teaching them correctly. They want to keep Torah. So many of them do so to the best of their ability, but it's not really their fault. They want to learn, but no Orthodox synagogue and typically no Orthodox rabbi would bother learning with anyone who doesn't agree with them 100%. So I think that a Messianic Jew would fall under the status of what in Judaism we call a Tinuk Shanishba, which is someone who has a status as if he was kidnapped as a child and deprived of an education. So it's not really his fault why he can't keep certain mitzvot properly in a halachic manner, but with these people, we're commanded to be patient with. So that's how I view them. I don't, I don't think just because... Now, there are some Messianic Jews who call themselves Karaites. For example, this is the opinion of a teacher online, a Messianic teacher. His name is Michael Rood. He identifies as a Messianic Karite. That's a problem. A person like that, we... It's not that they're not Jewish, uh, but we shouldn't consider them necessarily our brothers. They could be halakhically Jewish. Uh, there are many people who are halakhically Jewish that we don't embrace like our brothers. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Woody Allen, Karl Marx, Trotsky. If you happen to have a Jewish mother, you are halakhically Jewish. If you accept the Torah, like Again, the Hebrews in the mixed multitude accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai. You are halakhically Jewish. Um, however, they don't embrace the notion of halakha. And that has to do with them not embracing the notion of a court, a Sanhedrin, consensus, civil authority 
amongst the Jewish people. Now, that's a smaller group. They're not so prevalent. But I think the average believer in Yeshua who identifies as a Messianic wants to keep Torah like the average Orthodox Jew keeps Torah. And if he, doesn't, if he or she doesn't do so, is because they haven't been educated properly. So I think that God is going to be patient with them. That God is patient with them, and we should be patient with them as well. And that's, that's one thing I bring to the table. I act as a liaison between that world and the Orthodox world. I'll teach anyone who wants to learn. I don't care who you think the Messiah is. So that's my response. So, um, you know, I hate to, um, to put you on, on the spot, but um, I, sure. I remember you becoming... Uh, coming to prominence on YouTube as someone who was very uh, adamant about people being um, inappropriate or heretical in a sense by following the figure of Jesus as, as a deity or as their Messiah or something like that. And then with time, uh, you have had a more embracing approach. What happened in, in that time period? Did you feel that, like you said, that when people are sincere and they're actually trying to serve God, that they should be giving a chance? And what was the original reaction that you were discussing in your YouTube video? So I proselytize Messianics, Christians, Hebrew rooters as, as, as fervently, as, as, as extremely as I did back then. I do so today. I believe that what's good for me is good for them. However, it's not a salvation issue. It's, it, it's, it's not even a pleasing God issue. It's because I think that that philosophy, that ideology will eventually catch up with them. And it's going to stunt their growth, not just religiously, but academically. This is why I do it. Now, I did shift my opinion from viewing Messianic Judaism as heretical and idolatrous. Uh, however, I still view it as wrong, just like I view Kabbalistic Judaism as wrong. Wrong, but still Jewish. Now, the truth is, it's hard for me to find, or for the average Orthodox Jew to find, one Orthodox rabbi that he agrees fully with. So uh, there's many people that I consider wrong, you know, partially, not completely wrong. There's a lot of things that we agree on. We agree on more than we disagree on, but I could still embrace them as my brothers. Fine, that's not a problem. So just like I try to convince a Lubavitcher, uh, like someone from the Hasidic group Chabad or any other movement that I happen to disagree with, to come around to my way of thinking, I also encourage a Messianic to do the same. However, I'll tell them that it's not necessary. But everyone's always looking to grow. In this world, in the Jewish world, especially for those of us who weren't born Jewish, we came late to the game. So we try to absorb as much as we can and everyone is always willing to learn. I mean, I haven't seen a Messianic who, who hasn't absorbed everything I've tossed his way. And uh, yeah, and in the same sense, I'm also looking to grow. This is why I have these discussions. I have a lot of debates because I also want to be proven wrong. I want to be on the right path. And the only way we're going to get on that path is through dialogue. So, yeah, but I did change my opinion on them being heretical and idolatrous. I mean, I still think they're wrong, uh, but those two, those two labels 
carry a lot of weight to them in the Jewish world. Not, not nowadays, because we don't have a court, we don't have a system to adjudicate such people. But if there was a court, an idolater and a heretic would virtually be liable to death penalty. So I know there's a lot of rabbis on YouTube who toss those two terms around freely without knowing the consequences of what they're saying. As a matter of fact, in Jewish law, if you accuse someone of something that they'll that they will able the punishment that was going to be placed on him or her. So when there was a court, when there was a Sanhedrin, I'm sure teachers weren't quick to call people names just because they happened to disagree on a small theological issue. But they do nowadays because there are no consequences for using such terms. Let's talk about that. So when people uh, read the New Testament, they see this picture of the opposing Jewish groups as very staunch, very strict, very hateful, um, and so religiously bigoted or something where they come after, depending on perspective, either Jesus is either a liberal or a conservative or a traditionalist or an, or an Orthodox Jew, whatever perspective people want to impose on Jesus. And the, and the Pharisees are seen or sometimes um, amalgamated with the modern day Orthodox Jews. How do you separate that? And are those, is that imagery uh, depicted in, in the New Testament um, legitimate? Is, is it accurate? Because we all see uh, religious um, fanatics on all different types of religious communities, but is it a possibility that he had just a, a practical um, traditionalist approach and these guys were so far out that they weren't willing to accept what he had to say? Or did they have legitimate concerns and he was being a little too lenient? What do you know from the first century Jews that we can uh, extrapolate from, from this text? That is it even um, accurate to our experience in the Jewish world with people having those types of conflicts to the point of condemning someone as a heretic and as someone who blasphemed the name of God because whatever perspective you have on, on what Jesus had to say. So nowhere in the Talmud does it connect the rabbis in the Talmud, which the rabbis of today claim to be an extension of the rabbis in the Talmud. Nowhere does it make a connection between those rabbis and the Pharisees in the New Testament. There's no Talmudic rabbi that identifies himself as a Pharisee. Now, the Talmud does state that there were seven different groups of Pharisees, and they would fight amongst themselves, and they were really looked down upon. Um, so there's always been infighting in the Jewish world. That's one thing, or one reason they say the temple was destroyed, because it was called Sinat Hinam, baseless hatred. So it could have been possible that one or two of those groups of the Pharisees just didn't like Jesus, whoever he happened to have identified with, and would have given him a hard time. Now, back then, the accusation of being a heretic didn't carry weight either because the Sanhedrin couldn't put people to death. And that's what happens when there are no consequences for your actions. You do them more, right? Because you could get away with it. So it doesn't really, you know, we don't know much exactly, but we don't know much about uh, how accurate the narrative is in the New Testament if uh, 
that's carried over in the Talmud. It, it, it just doesn't make that connection between Talmudic rabbis and those who were bullying or harassing Jesus. Not to mention that the Sadducees were also harassing Jesus, but the Sadducees were also part of the rabbinical class. This is one thing that people fail to understand. There's this misconception out there that the Sadducees didn't believe in oral law. It's not true. The Talmud says that they even sat on the Sanhedrin, and that's where the oral law comes from. Rabbinic law is rabbis voting law into existence. Rabbis meaning judges. That's really the proper term. What the Sadducees didn't believe in, which is equivalent to what we call Midrash and Agadah nowadays, folklore and legend. And they were against the other rabbis developing laws from that instead of developing laws just directly from Tanakh or, or the first part of Tanakh, the Torah. So um, it wasn't this war between the rabbis and Jesus. Everyone back then, everyone submitted themselves to civil law and civil law is what is what is called halakha. Now, there is this group, the Essenes. We don't know much about them. I'm pretty sure they submitted themselves to civil law to a certain extent. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I could say about that. Yeah. Earlier in the, in the interview, you mentioned that our Jewish groups that you don't agree with who are wrong, but they're still Jewish. So now, at, the longer you, you've been part of Judaism, you are you realizing that it's more lenient or accepting than what it portrays itself to be? Because you say that there are some rabbis who are ready to condemn different groups, but um, is it as long as you keep Jewish law in a strict form like the Orthodox, you can have as many mystical and personal views as you want? And that's the where the lenience comes. Once you're part of the system and you follow the system to the best of ability, then you have that freedom? Or is Judaism Pretty much um, there's freedom in all kinds of ways, but the Orthodox choose to be stringent and then you have Orthodox groups who are leaning within it. What's your perspective on Judaism as a whole? Okay. The general rule is that virtually every idea is accepted as long as you keep Torah and Halakha, unless you believe in Yeshua. And this is just the way it is. They're very lopsided against the apostolic writings, the New Testament, whatever you want to call it, Paul, Jesus, Yeshua, they have a chip on, like, on their shoulder, and this is undeniable. And it is not fair. Um, but yeah, if you accept what's called the oral law and the written law, and also if you don't attribute any divine qualities to your Messiah, now there's some Hasidic groups that that have, but they would explain it away. Like, that's not exactly what this person meant when he wrote that, this and that. In other words, they won't publicly acknowledge it. So as long as you don't believe that God became a man or is a man, and you don't believe in Jesus or the New Testament or Yeshua, then you could be tolerated in the Orthodox Jewish world and even the conservative Jewish world. And for sure, the Reformed Jewish world, because they accept virtually everybody. Uh, but the big barrier is belief in Messianic Judaism or Christianity or Jesus, Yeshua, that, that 
is, and it comes from Jews having a bad taste in their mouth uh, because of the persecution in Europe. Uh, today, I would say uh, Christians are more persecuted than any other group. Uh, but Jews don't forget. Now, for some reason, it seems like Jews are a little more tolerant with, with Muslims than they are with Christians. And I think that's because Ashkenazim, German Jews, run the show. So their bias gets, get, gets amplified over every other bias. Now, there are some rabbis who declared Islam non-idolatrous and Christianity idolatrous. So... That led some Jews to believe, or most Jews to believe, that only because something is more idolatrous, that it's more dangerous than something that's less idolatrous, right? I mean, you could be a complete monotheist and be a danger to society and the Jewish people. And you could be a complete idolater and be a decent individual, at least ethically. I'm not saying holy or according to the Torah ceremonial standards. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's an idea that... Jews don't tolerate, and that's believing that Yeshua is your Messiah. I mean, you could believe anyone else is your Messiah, but if you believe Yeshua is, or Jesus is your Messiah, and then you're always going to be viewed as a Gentile. Regarding the, this idea of Jesus uh, either being divine or having part of the divine in him or participating in the divine nature of God, it, it, from your knowledge, I know that you say that you you don't, uh, you're not involved in, in the mystical aspect of Judaism or the Kabbalistic stuff. Do you think that, that some of his sayings were misinterpreted, that he was talking about maybe the divine in all of us or God dwelling among the Jewish people and that uh, if, if you are a son of God, you're someone who has a close relationship with him. Do you see that, that there's been a, a distortion of his teachings and that what's brought about? the elements of Christianity that are not acceptable to Jews? I believe that there's a, there absolutely has been a distortion. However, there are some instances in the New Testament that he himself aligns himself with God. That itself could be explained away, just like Kabbalists explain the teachings of their Rebbes. However, I don't see that necessarily as, as a problem theologically. Uh, now, I don't believe that God became a man and I don't believe that, that Yeshua is the Messiah or God. However, I don't see it contrary to the Torah or to Tanakh in general, that God can embody flesh and blood for a short period of time to deliver a message. We see this all through Tanakh. It's undeniable. This is why the Rambam has to step in and say that every time we have God appearing to someone. It's in a dream. They're dreaming. It's a vision. Even though in the text, it's not a vision. He's trying to save face here, and that's fine. Uh, I, I consider myself a student of the Rambam. I agree with how he teaches. However, I don't agree with his conclusion. became a man temporarily. It was a share in the world to come. Okay, I don't agree with that. Because uh, there's another rabbi. Rabbi... His name is Rabbeinu Bachya Ibn Pekuda. He wrote the duties of the heart. So he says that God wouldn't hold it against someone if they happen to take what appears in the Bible literally. Right? So literally, it seems that God sometimes appears to people in bodily form. It seems that angels happen to be an extension of God in some 
metaphysical way. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that to sound more Jewish, a Messianic Jew has to do what other Kabbalists do. Uh, because, I mean, well, the truth is, the average Kabbalist has a response for rationalistic or more modern Orthodox Jews, and then they have a response for their own brothers. Uh, there's, there's many Kabbalistically inclined Jews who believe that their Rebbe is God. But when they're interviewed or when they're asked, they give a different response. So uh, you have to live in the Jewish world to see that. So it seems like it's not just Messianic Jews who have to hide and wear masks. But I don't see it as contrary to the Torah. I agree that God doesn't work like that. That's my opinion. And I consider the Rambam my teacher. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that if someone wants to understand the Jewish Bible in that manner, that they should be thrown under the bus or kicked out of the Jewish people. So that's my response. And for those who are not familiar, the Rambam is uh, Moses Maimonides. He was um, the, the greatest um, teacher of, of Jewish law. Uh, he was a Spaniard and he, is, um, he wrote some of the codes that are the most important in the Orthodox Jewish world, traditional Jewish world, on how to understand the laws in the, in the Torah. Um, the next question has to do with persecution of Jewish Christians within... camera's a little blurry. I don't know, like, if you wanted to fix that, just for yourself. Your uh, camera looks a little blurry. Yeah, you, there's been choppy stuff uh, going on. Is it better now? Okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's not for me. Sure. I mean, for your audience. That's okay. fine. So, um, so the next question has to do with apparent uh, persecution of Jewish Christians within the Talmudic period. So, you know, there are these fascinating passages in the Talmud where you have a, a Jewish Christian or a Nazarene, um, a member of the, the Nazarene party, and they go to a synagogue or they are talking to a rabbi and they tell them something about Jesus. And then the, the community reacts negatively, like stay away from that guy or they're trying to confuse you or something like that. Do you think that those just like the new, some people can see the New Testament as like um, uh, almost like an versus Judeas uh, type of, of text where it's, it's an antagonistic um, writing in against certain Jewish groups to prove that their Jewish group is better. Uh, and the Essenes did that in the Qumran writings. Do you see in the, in the Talmud that maybe they felt a little threatened by the Jesus movement as it was growing? And some of these stories, either fictional or real, were incorporated to try to keep people in the ranks. Uh, have you come across those stories? And do they have any weight to them that maybe there was troublemakers from the Jewish Christian movement trying to cause internal strife among the, the rabbis and their followers in the Talmudic period? There's some rabbis online who try to instigate problems between Christians, Messianics, and Orthodox Jews by saying that these passages, or even the phrase Notzrim in the Talmud refers to followers of Yeshua. I believe it's the Meiri who says that they are not, the Notzrim are not the followers of Yeshua, but they're the members of a sect that descend all the way back from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. 
and not followers of Yeshua. The truth is, Christians or Messianics don't appear in the Talmud. Jesus doesn't appear in the Talmud. Um, I think the consensus amongst academics is that this individual or the three individuals that people try to point to or link to Jesus lived hundreds of years before Jesus. And it doesn't make a direct connection between them. This is why if that was the case, but you'd have a lot more um, uh, evidence to the existence of Jesus. I mean, the average Jew doesn't even fully believe that he existed because he's not really a historical figure. Now, if they believe that this individual that gets named in the Talmud is Jesus, they wouldn't make that claim. So the reason that rabbis make that connection is because they hate Jesus and Christianity so much that they love what appears in the Talmud regarding this individual or these individuals that were considered heretical at the time. And they say that he's boiling in an excrement uh, of uh, in, in a cauldron of boiling excrement for eternity. It's, it's, it's not the same guy. It's not the same guy. Uh, this individual in the New Testament doesn't appear as a magician or someone who's working against God. There are many rabbis who claim to have metaphysical powers. This didn't make them heretical. Uh, even the notion of saying that God has a body or a shape, that, that is not uncommon for rabbis in the Talmud. Statements like, to, statements like that aren't uncommon for Talmudic rabbis to, to make. Well, they say that God wears the fillin, that he wears a tallit. Right? Uh, so I don't view any statement that appears in the Talmud as, as being confirmed to be talking about Jesus. And if you ask the average rabbi, they'll talk from both sides of, both sides of their mouth. They'll say first, uh, well, you can't prove that Jesus ever existed. I don't believe that individual existed. But at the same time, well, they'll quote something in the Talmud that they claim it's, it's talking about Jesus just to hurt a believer in Jesus. So it's, it's a complete double standard. So the people who are called Notsrim in the Talmud, or even Yeshua Notsri, is not Jesus of Nazareth. That's my opinion. Okay, and before people misconstrue um, your statement that, that some rabbis hate Jesus or Christianity, let's unpack that. So uh, like you said in the, earlier in the show, you said that there's people who have a lot of resentment or pain from the persecution in Europe, the Holocaust. Uh, there's all kinds of persecution programs that happen throughout centuries. So they, they have um, that historical um, perspective to, to deal with. And, and the challenge is, how do they overcome that, that pain? And then Christians use that to say, well, you know they're wrong about Jesus because they hate him or whatever. So it's a polemic that is built from anti-missionaries against Christians and then from Christians against Jews. And it's just this ongoing war. So we appreciate you being... Um, in, an ambassador for, for the Jewish people trying to, to build bridges. But um, do you think it comes from ignorance and misrepresentation of the, 
the facts. Uh, like you said, there are things that we don't understand about the New Testament or there are things that are nebulous in the Talmud and people jump the gun because it helps their cause. How do we have a more um, understanding, uh, a better understanding that, um, that it has a paints a more accurate picture so people can make better decisions? Uh -huh. So the truth is that there's virtually no Jew walking around today who's ever tasted anti-Semitism, at least collect anti-Semitism from the hands of a Christian. I believe that this hatred of Christianity comes from affluence and boredom. Jews are bored and they're going to attack those who are nicest to them. We don't see this campaign against Islam or Muhammad but against Christianity, the most docile religion that exists today. I mean, Christians are being slaughtered by the thousands and we don't hear them crying about it. Uh, they're, as a group, they're very admirable. Theologically, they can improve and that's what I'm here to do, to help them improve theologically, bring them to a clearer understanding of Torah but in terms of ethics, they're doing great. Now, in terms of consistent ethics, betting how long they could remain Torah observant, that's going to determine how much of the New Testament do they stay with, right? I mean, this is my opinion. I've always believed that believing in the New Testament stunts your growth academically and theologically, religiously. And we see this with the greatest teachers that you have in the messianic world. They really don't, don't, honestly, they don't amount to much compared to very mediocre teachers in the Orthodox world who typically come out on top in most of their dialogues. Not that they have many dialogues. I wish they had more. So that's just my belief. Um, that's it. I, I don't view Christians, not even Messianics, I don't view Christians as their enemies. With every Christian, I see a kosher Jew fighting to get out. And like, who you believe the Messiah is to me, what initially is, is not important. Okay. Once you come to the clear understanding that a good God gave the world a higher standard to aspire to, then we can try to split hairs and discuss theological issues. Uh, so that's our bigger fight, not destroying the belief in Jesus, but bringing the world to ethical monotheism. And the only ethical monotheism that appears in the Bible are the commandments that God gave, not just to the Jewish people, he gave them to the world, to the mixed multitude which represented the world. And that's what I try to facilitate. Tell us about your own personal journey. Um, how did you um, uh, come to, to learn about Judaism and embrace it? And what were the things that, that you felt that Christianity was lacking? So I was born Catholic. And... I was a street kid for a while. When I was a kid, I was religious, eight, nine, ten. And after that, I became a street kid. I mean, I was a street kid for many years. When I was around 17 years old, I 
was not happy in the direction that my life was going. So I wanted to do as much good in the world as I was doing bad. And I even encourage you today that when someone's looking for an ethical outlet, it benefits them to go back to the religion of their parents. Now, I didn't go back to Catholicism just because they were never very big on outreach, at least where I grew up in. Uh, but my uncle happened to be a pastor. I mean, he's actually a messianic rabbi nowadays. His name is Belarmino Dusan, Rabbi Belarmino Dusan. And he, he brought me to Christianity, Baptist. And when I was exposed to it, I just absorbed it. And I accepted Jesus. And then I went to seminary. So that itself didn't open my eyes so much. I, I became a street uh, minister to the homeless, to gang members, to prostitutes. And like most people who are out in the street trying to preach the word of God, I would be confronted by a lot of um, cultists or people in different sects of Christianity that forced me to become and or that forced me to delve in apologetics and cross-reference the New Testament back and forth alongside with what Christians call the Old Testament. And I started coming to the realization that the role of the Messiah is not such an important role according to God's Torah covenant. According to the plain, literal meaning of what appears in the five books of Moses, it seems that the whole system doesn't revolve around the notion of a Messiah. That's how I saw it, or that's how I started to see it. So I started to see that the notion of the Messiah was an optional belief. That's it. I never hated Jesus. I just stopped believing in him as the Messiah, and I felt that that forced me to enter Judaism. And um, that's it. Now, it's true. When I left Christianity, I did have some resentment, like most people who live Christianity have resentment. So uh, my earlier videos, I seem a little more animated and passionate when it came to bringing Christians to Judaism. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just as passionate, but I, I, I'm a lot more loving nowadays. I mean, I'm able to embrace them as my brothers because Torah, the keeping of God's commandments, is the uniting factor. Uh, and I just see the belief in Yeshua as a bump in the road. That's it. Now, I do think that it'll affect them in the long run, just like I think it, that believing in Kabbalah affects your average Orthodox Jew in the long run. But I'm able to embrace them as my brothers. So... After I came to the realization that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, or even that the notion of, of the Messiah was one that the Torah necessarily required one to believe in, I went to my local Orthodox synagogue, and I said, I want to convert. And it took me about three years, but I converted, and then I moved to Israel. I made Aliyah, and I lived in Israel on five years, and... I went to yeshiva when I was in Israel, and I think living in Israel helped me the most in ultimately becoming a teacher of Judaism and doing what I do nowadays, at least part-time. And that's it. That's really where I am now. So 
what did you think went wrong with the teachings of Jesus? Because if you if you read um, his basic teachings, he starts telling people to to follow God faithfully, to be charitable, to be kind and, and just. And you even see that in Paul, the malign uh, creator of Christianity in, in the eyes of a lot of people. So when you say that the New Testament is uh, a bump in the road or um, it, it stifles someone's uh, religious life, what in it is it uh, objectionable? Because um, there's a lot of positive things that have come out from people following those teachings. And if you align them with Judaism, there's a lot of correlations. So what is this thing that is, that is leading people in the, in the wrong direction? So the problem is not appreciating the statements, the ethical statements that appear in the New Testament is considering them. The problem is considering them divinely inspired. That's the problem. Considering them infallible, considering them the word of God. There's a lot of ethical books. They're called Musser in the Jewish world that have a lot of beautiful things to say, very similar to what appears in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of beautiful statements in the New Testament. But the difference between the New Testament and a work of Musser, a work of ethics in the Jewish world, is that we know at the end of the day that that statement is something made from, it came from the mind of a devotional, uh, of someone devoted to Torah, for sure. But it's still, it's still fallible. It's not divinely inspired. Now, this is a problem that I think Christians have, or messianics possibly have is that they elevate a statement in the book of acts to the same level of holiness to a statement that appears in the book of exodus they don't make a distinction so in judaism we call that adding to the torah the torah is what god instructed us in what we call the five books of moses not just to do but to believe in as well now, if you believe that the New Testament is divinely inspired, God-breathed, then you believe that it's a progression in, to that initial revelation that we received on Mount Sinai. So it, it's, it's really an adding. Now, I'm not, I'm not just pointing my finger at Messianics. Orthodox Jews do this as well. There's some Orthodox Jews, and particularly, particularly the, those who are more mystically inclined, who elevate the teachings of their masters to the level of Torah as well. They'll say Torah teaches and they'll quote their Rebbe's book. So uh, there's blame to go around, right? So I could appreciate things that Jesus said and just consider him and his writings just like I consider the, or on the same level as I consider the writings of rabbis that appear in the Talmud or the Rambam or, you know, these rabbis don't have any more authority to add to the Torah than Jesus did. Now, the Torah itself did sanction the office of the judge to legislate, to make civil law, to make sure that Israel could progress in a uniform manner. But they distinction between their laws by calling them rabbinic laws or done versus Torah law. But I think that's a distinction that Christians or Messianics fail to make. They believe that the teachings of their teacher is an extension and is connected somehow 
to Mount Sinai. It's on that level. So that's a difference. I don't have to dislike Jesus' teachings um, to not embrace him as the Messiah. All I have to do is just appreciate it as man-made works. That's it. Which would make... Uh, but having to accept him as, as a divine figure or as a piece of God or a final piece in the messianic puzzle, not necessary. Yeah, that's it. He says that the Christians are being persecuted and they are the biggest friends of the, the Jewish community. But in America, you see a lot of the anti-Jewish uh, hatred coming from liberal Jewish, uh, liberal Christian groups that feel that the, the Jews have no part in anything and they have no say and that they're like a religion from the past or even the traditional Christians um, that feel that they've replaced uh, the, the Jewish community. So all you're left with are evangelicals and maybe some Sabbatarians or people like that. So, so the numbers are are really that big of supporters of the Jewish people? Or is this something you're saying from your experience and your interactions with the people on, on the community? Mm -hmm. Although the Catholic Church teaches replacement theology, Catholics don't persecute Jews nowadays because of that theology. Uh, they still support Jews. I would say there's many Catholics, I mean, outside of what the Pope actually believes, that believes that, the, well, that Israel is the homeland of the Jews. Right? And left-wing Jews are, Gentile is not synonymous with Christian. So only because you have people who come from Christian parents who happen to be on the left and side with the Palestinians against the Israelis doesn't mean that they represent Christianity in any way, with the exception of those fringe groups like um, uh, there, there's a handful of mainline groups. I mean, they're called mainline, but they really don't represent that much of the Christian world. I think the evangelical representation is much larger, like many Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists who happen to lean left uh, who, who uh, at least politically, don't side with Israel. They don't persecute Jews in any way. Uh, they may side with BDS and try to um, align themselves with groups who don't agree with Israelis politically, but that doesn't mean that's a form of persecution. Persecution is pogroms in Europe, pogroms in, in Arab world. I mean, that's... If... if, if a mainline Christian is an example of Christian persecution towards Jews, then what do you call what occurred in Europe? I mean, it doesn't even compare. It's, it's, it's just because they happen to disagree with them. Only because they happen to disagree with Jews or Israelis doesn't mean that they want them out of America and they don't want to do business with them or they think they are genetically inferior. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the bulk of, um, of what we see in America that's negative towards Jews could even qualify as persecution.
question. Um, when they had the, the, the radicals, uh, Muslim radicals in France attacked uh, people at, uh, at a Jewish daily, um, they, they had a panel with Bill Nye and he said that one of the reasons that Jews get persecuted and he was saying all over because we had, we've had in America uh, white supremacists, um, Hebrew Israelites, and, and Muslim uh, individuals attack Jewish organizations or centers. He said that one of the reasons that Jews get uh, attacked is because they're very insular and that they don't, uh, they don't reach out or whatever. He was talking about Orthodox Jews. Do you have some of the same criticisms that if there was more religious Jews out in the community building bridges and connecting with, with people from all different backgrounds, there would be less um, like ignorance and less hatred towards them? Or is that uh, something that people should be worried about? So Bill and I, just for clarity, is not a Christian, he's an atheist. Uh, the religious Jewish world is so small. You're talking about maybe 10% of Jews identify as observant. Uh, that it's, it's hard to counterbalance what the secular Jewish world does in the name of being Jewish uh, with Orthodox Jews deciding to go out and proselytize and paint a nice picture uh, about Judaism towards a Gentile world that it's completely irrelevant to the anti-Semitism we see towards Jews in the world today. The problem is that 54% of people who are born Jewish identify as atheists. And I would say probably around 30% are completely unaffiliated. I mean, that's the problem, that they continue identifying as Jewish, even though they don't believe in God, even though their behavior does not resemble that of someone who has committed his life to Torah. That's why Jews are being persecuted. Because in the Christian world, if someone stopped believing in Jesus or Yeshua, no one would consider him Christian. Just like in the Islamic world, if someone stopped believing in Muhammad, they couldn't be labeled as Muslim. But because of Kabbalistic Judaism, that created the idea that what made you Jewish is not Torah observance, but the blood running through your veins, religious Jews end up dying for the sins of the so-called secular Jew. And we even see, like, saw this during World War II. During World War II, the reason people dislike Jews is because most Jews were communist, just like most Jews nowadays are on the left. Not religious Jews. Religious Jews are on the right. Religious Jews are conservative but they're so small that they're really irrelevant. However, when they come for the secular Jews, the first Jews they're going to attack are those who look Jewish. And those are the religious Jews, the ones on the right. So Zionism, with the capital Z, as it appears today, is a secular pursuit. It's not a religious one. The state of Israel was founded by secular Jews, not religious Jews. Now, there are a lot of religious Jews who live in the land of Israel who identify as Zionists. 
But the reason people hate Jews nowadays, the most popular reason, is because of the Zionist idea. Now, truth be told, if Israel was completely religious, they would also be hated, right? Um, however, it's two different things. One, to be hated because you're doing the right thing, you're keeping Torah, you're representing the God of Israel from the place he told you to be at, then to be hated for your left-wing agenda. Most people don't know that Israel is the biggest exporter of narcotics in the Middle East, prostitution as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that left-wing Jews do that don't, don't get mentioned because if it does get mentioned, the left-wing Jew will call whoever is making the accusation a Nazi and hide behind the idea that he's part of God's chosen people and he's Jewish. Again, when there's retaliation for that, who suffers? The religious Jew, not the secular Jew. So uh, I, yeah, I had a different perspective about Israel before I got there. And I left with a very different perspective. But that's my response. We want to thank you, Rabbi, for your time and your um, the work that you do. And we want to keep um, the conversation going. Maybe in the future you can come and tell us about other subjects. But we think it's important for people to know, you know, uh, a fresh perspective on how, how can we all work together and how can we all come to a better understanding. So, again, uh, thanks again for, for being with us. And it's been a pleasure. All right. So my website, for those who are interested, is TorahJudaism.com. And um, on YouTube, just type in Asher Meza. I have a show that appears three times a week, Monday nights at 9.30, Thursdays at 10 p.m., and Saturday nights at 10 p.m. called the Asher Meza Show. And we discuss everything regarding Torah. And it's just a meeting of the minds. And uh, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay.